Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? Good to see all your smiling faces. I have a confession to make this morning. Yeah, it's always good to start every sermon with like confessing your problems. I did it. I went and got a pumpkin spice latte today. I'm sorry. I want to just apologize up front. I shouldn't have done it. I know. God forgives. Um, <laughs> we are in the eighth and final segment of our series, Parables, Vignettes of Spiritual Truth. And so hopefully you've been blessed by that. I know that I've been blessed and challenged by that in the process as we've gone through it. Um, it's weird to think that I've already been here for this will be my eighth week being here and we're already knocking out a series and we're starting a new one. So some of you are already asking, well, wh- what are we doing next? What are we doing next? Where are we going to go next? Shall I tell you? This is the heart inside of me that says I want to say no, but I'm going to. I will tell you, we're going to be in the book of Acts. So it's going to be different than maybe you've seen in the past. We're not going to spend two years straight in the books of Acts. Like That's kind of what it would take. But we are going to be in the book of Acts for about a year and a half to two years, and we're going to break it up into segments. If you know the way the book of Acts is actually written and it's done, it's actually broken into three major segments. And we just talked about it in the memory verse that we did. You will be my witness in Jerusalem. So the first act is in Jerusalem. The second act is in Judea and Samaria. And the third act is the ends of the earth. So we're going to break it up into three segments. And then we're going to have stuff, that, some fun studies in between that, some different standalones, and a lot of fun just kind of moving through God's word. And so we'll just take it in segments as we go through. But what better way as God's church to go, what did the church look like? What did you design? What did you want for your people? So always going back to God's word to guide us and direct us in that. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and start my sermon for today. And I'll say this. Um, This sermon is something that probably everyone has heard multiple times. There's, There's no big surprise ending here like, oh, I had no idea. It was the butler. There's none of that. You've heard it. I I have... I'm, I'm probably not going to reveal a lot of new things, to be perfectly honest, but it's important because Jesus is giving us his word and a very important message for us to understand. And even though we have these passages that are very common, it speaks to us that God wants to communicate his truth to us in some way. And so because his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing spirit, dividing who we are, cutting to the core of who we are, he always has a new word for us. Amen. And that's what we want this morning. We're striving after God's word for us this morning. Not so we can, you know, break it all down, but so we can go, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live in light of this information that you've just pressed on me, in light of what the Holy Spirit's done? So as we read it, my prayer all week for you has been that God would be softening your hearts, allowing you to be open to hearing what God may have for you, and open to being okay with saying, you know what? There's some areas that I might need to change. So that's where we're at. Have your Bibles. Please turn to Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I ask that you would use me this morning to bless your people. I ask that you would help me to communicate your word effectively to those that that need to hear from you this morning. I don't know where they come from. I don't know what's been going on in their lives. I don't know what brokenness they're dealing with. But I ask that you would show yourself to be real and true to them this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through me. May you be highlighted. May you empower me to do your work. May you give me the words to say and the words not to say. And that ultimately, may you receive all the glory We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Like I said, this sermon's been preached thousands of times, right? We we know this. We've heard of the Good Samaritan. Even if you've never been to church, you're like, I know about the Good Samaritan. And I would say in bulk, we probably go, oh, the whole idea is that we just need to be good people. We need to be like the Good Samaritan. We need to be good people. Well, I want to press into that a little bit. And I want to talk about what that means. But what I want you to start doing as we move through this passage I want you to ask, who am I in the story? Who who am I relating to? Because again, parables are these real powerful truths that God is trying to communicate about who he is and what he's doing. And to put us in that parable helps us understand what God may be saying to us. So just kind of ask, who am I in the story? And And we'll get there in a little bit. Now, the context of this parable, it's good to know what was going on when this parable came up and what was happening with the people that were hearing this message. Now, Jesus at this point had been preaching all over. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons and raising people from the dead. And he's preaching and he keeps saying, if you want salvation, if you want to turn life, all you need to do is believe in me. So that was kind of his message as he walked through life preaching everybody. Well, the problem was this, is that there was a group of people that didn't necessarily like that message. The scribes and the Pharisees constantly were like, you need to follow the law, you need to follow the law, you need to follow the law, you need to follow the law. And he's saying, all I got to do is trust in me and you'll have eternal life. I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they were getting so angry because it was taking away from their works-based faith, their ability to earn God's favor. Like, see, we're doing all this stuff. You gotta be like us. You gotta be a good person. You gotta do all the things. And he's preaching this, and it's, it's kind of stirring things up with the people. And what they wanted, they wanted to shut them up. Because of this disruption, because it's messing with their power, it's messing with what they're teaching, they're like, how are we going to get this guy? How are we going to get him to stop communicating this message? So they wanted to trap him. They wanted to trip him up. And they wanted to discredit him so so the crowds wouldn't believe and follow him like they were. So this lawyer comes up. 
Now, we think of lawyers and we think of someone who, you know, it's, it's all about the, the legal system and what they do and understanding the law and breaking it down and doing that. And it's kind of like that, but it's not the same kind of person. The law that this lawyer understood was God's law. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all of God's laws that were handed down. And so he knew it. Most likely, this individual was a scribe. Someone who, was, who understood the word so well, he could communicate the word, who uh, his whole life was just dedicated to this, memorizing full books of the Bible, understanding what it said. With disputes would come up, they'd break it down. This is what it says, this is what it doesn't say. This person's right, this person's wrong. They understood the law really well. And so he was going to go and he was going to be the guy, the master of the law was going to go and he was going to trip up Jesus, the writer of the law. Which is hilarious if you just look at what this scribe thinks he's about to do. So what happens is he goes to him and says, I'm going to get him with a question. And I want to say this. The question that the scribe asks is probably the best question that we can ask today. It is legitimately a question that we should be asking ourselves. It's, it's a question that every single one of us at one point in our life has to answer the question to. And based on how you answer that question determines the trajectory of your life and what you will do from that moment forward. What's the question? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? We all have to come to some grips with that. There's, there's a point where you go, and you're like, well, I don't even believe in an afterlife. Well, you've made a decision about that question. Haven't you? You've come up with an answer. Though there is none, so it doesn't matter. I'll do whatever I want. And I would say this. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves and we ask that question, we know that there's more to life than this, don't we? You look around and you go, is this it? This is as good as it gets? Because if it is, that's a bummer, isn't it? Like if this is as good as it gets, this is a real bummer. And he's saying... What, I, there's eternal life, there's something passes. What do I have to do to inherit it? What do I have to do to be close to God? What do I have to do to have salvation? What does that look like? Well, here's what I want you to know. If you're here today and you haven't asked that question before, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, if you haven't asked that question, I would ask you to ask that question today because here's the thing. Jesus has the answer and he has given us his word, the Bible, and the Bible has the answer to that very question. I have studied it over and over and over again, and maybe I'm just not smart enough, but I can't find a way to get around it. He has given us the answer what that looks like. And so what Jesus does, he hears the question, and maybe you don't use this way to describe Jesus. Jesus is brilliant. He is so smart, and he is so brilliant that he hears this question. He already knows the man doesn't, he's like, I know what you're trying to do. I can read your heart. I understand where you're trying to trap me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually flip this whole thing around, and I'm going to now interrogate you. And he decides, I'm going to ask you a question, because he knows that he thinks he knows the answer. He thinks he has the truth. And so he's like, well, let's just see if you know what it is. And he says, so... What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he gives a good answer for a man who has studied the law. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and then he connects that to Leviticus 19 and 18, and this is what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, correct. Circle gets the square. You did it. You got it right. Do this thing and you will live. Now, I want to believe that this is what took place in that moment when he said it. I want to believe that there was this twinkle in Jesus' eye and he had just a little bit of a smile coming up on the side of his mouth because he knows that he can't. And it's almost like Jesus is trying to draw it out of him a little bit. He's like, yeah, do that. You should do that. And then you'll live. Now, was I there? No. Do I know? No. But we see that something takes place to where this guy won't let it be. He's not going to drop the question. He knows that Jesus has flipped it. He knows that he's given an answer. He doesn't like the answer because it does not allow him to accomplish what he was trying to accomplish. And so what's he do? He's going to press because this man does believe that the law can save him. If he works really hard, he can earn his salvation. He believes it. He believes it with all of his heart. How many of us feel this way? How many of us at times feel like if we're just good, if we just follow what we're supposed to, then God will love me? See, we do this all the time. But if we re-look at that statement, we'd think it was crazy. If I had a son, I have three of them, and I was like, well, here's the deal, boys. If you do what I say, you can be my son. We all laugh. It's stupid, right? That is a stupid statement. Well, and if you don't, you can just live here free of charge, and you'll be like a sojourner, and then I'll kick you out at 18. That's insanity, right? That's an insane idea, but yet we, we impose this very idea on God all the time. God likes me when I do good things, and he hates me when I do bad things. So I got to be a good little boy, because that way God will like me. If we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, he loves us because we're his children, right? Do we like it when our kids listen to us? The answer is yes, boys. I do, I do like it when you listen to me. But I say all the time, your obedience doesn't negate my love for you, whether it happens or doesn't happen. I love you because you're my, my boys. There's nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you. There's consequences for problems, sure, but it's, that's not what it's about, now, how do I know that the heart of this man was like, I'm doing it right? Because he tells us. He literally tells us in the next verse. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, right? So he's already like, no, 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 no. I, I am right. I am doing all the right things. I'm the guy. I know God's word more than anybody else, and I'm following it. And it's, it's this weird moment, like, he wants to show that he is justified by his righteousness. And so he presses the issue even more. And let's be honest, when our idols are challenged, we don't back down, we double down, don't we? Always. We're always going to double down. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, and this is where I think it's great. This guy, because he truly believed that he could earn God's love by following the law, he kind of calls out Jesus. And is like, oh, yeah? Why don't you try to find where I'm not? Why, you, you just look at my life and you find out where I'm not doing it because I am. And then he makes his big mistake and he says, and who is my neighbor? 
because you asked the question, you've already failed. Because he's not asking, who is my neighbor? What's he really asking? Who don't I have to love? Who can I not love? Who can I not extend God's love to? That's really what he's asking here. It would be good for us to ask that question on a pretty regular basis. Who is my neighbor? Who has God put in my life? Who have I been placed to engage, to care for, to love, to show the love of Christ to someone else? And this is where we land with our parable today. All that front work. Got to do all that front work to get to this point so we understand what Jesus is about to do as he deconstructs this man's total belief system and everything that he's lived for and everything that he knows. Now, Jesus spoke of this this man who was going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that is a real road. That road does exist. Um, It's actually well-known. It's about 17, 18 miles. That's roughly what it is. Some of you have been to the Holy Land. Some of you probably actually walked this road because that's actually one of the tours. I'm like, that's a long day of seeing one little verse. But hey, if that's what you want to do, it's your dime. And so that area is kind of like this single track, really rugged country. At times, it's through you know, cliffs and rocks and switchbacks and crags. Well, a lot of thieves, they would hide there. And that wasn't something that was just made up. That was a real thing. Actually, the nickname for this road is called the Way of Blood. It has a nickname. When that's the nickname of the road, you're going to try like, well, do you want to go take the Pleasant Rainbow Trail home or do you want to take the Way of Blood? Take the way of blood. Let's mix it up. And so he goes on this road and he takes the way of blood by himself. He doesn't have anybody with him. And so the people would have been tracking with the story. They're like, well, this moron is about to get what is going to happen to anyone who takes the way of blood. And so as he talks about the story, that's exactly what happens. Everyone who's listening is like, this is exactly what would happen. Anyone who would walk that way is going to get robbed by themselves. And that's exactly what happens. Robbers show up, they take his money, they beat him up, they take his clothes. He's this half-naked, beat, bleeding guy that they throw on the ground to be dead. And they take off. So that is, here's, it's all teed up. And I love what Jesus says here. And he says, by chance... A priest. By chance, a priest is walking on this road. And this priest is moving, and the priest sees a guy, and you're thinking, oh, finally a ray of hope. The man will be saved. The man was coming from Jerusalem. He's a Jewish man. It's his fellow brother. Like, this is someone that I know. The priest, uh, we have these these three positions, these three roles that God's established for the people of Israel, right? It's priest, prophet, king, right? Those are the three roles that God establishes to help the Israelites, to walk the Israelites in their life. The king would rule and and he would uh, help the nation move forward. The prophet would proclaim the word of God so the people would know. And the priest was there to serve the people. The priest's role was to, to know God's word, to work in the temple, to make sure that sins were forgiven, that people knew how to have their sins forgiven, that they would be an example of what it meant. It's like a man among the people. It's, think of a pastor, just a pastor who's engaged with their people, loves their people, cares about their people. That's the priest. Big hearts, lots of caring. He would have known lots of passages, lots of verses, he would have known Leviticus 19, 19, 33 through 34. 
When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as as the, the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He's like, oh man, remember when you guys were lost in, in the desert and God took you along the way? Like, surely this guy isn't even a stranger. He's one of you. Like, you're going to love him. You're going to care for him. You're going to engage him. Or maybe he was like, oh, my mind immediately goes to Exodus. And Exodus 23, 4 through 5 would say, if you meet your enemy's oxen or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving it with him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Surely he would have been like, you're better than a donkey. You're not even my enemy. You're my, my fellow countrymen. Surely he would be like, oh, I will help you. I, the hero's here. And he steps over him. And walks on the other side and just keeps going. What? That make any sense. Well, it's okay because someone else is going to show up. A Levite's going to show up. And, and a Levite, um, so the priests were from the line of Aaron, but the Levites were the, from the line of Levi. Yes, it's, they make it easy sometimes. You can really win with that. The name's right there. And so they weren't um, priests, but they were more like assistants to the priests. So again, very religious, very godly, knew the people, helped care for the needs of the people. This person would, would be a godly man who would help out as well, right? And, and I'm sure that this Levi would have gone right to Isaiah. He would have gone to Isaiah 58.10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. If you see someone in need, you can bring the light of God to them and help them so they will praise and worship the Lord. Of course he would understand that. Or he might be like, you know, honestly, Isaiah 1 probably has a better way to understand this. In verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Like, that one seems weird. Care for the marginalized. You think this guy's marginalized? Lying on the ground, naked, beat up, bleeding, dying. Seems pretty marginalized. This guy clearly would understand that he should love and care for that individual. And he follows in suit. And he steps over him. And he walks along his merry way. The two guys that would expect in this story to be the hero aren't anything like that. They don't solve the problem. They don't help out. Now, maybe they're too busy. Maybe they have really important things to do at the temple, and they got to hurry off to get there. Uh, maybe this is just going to slow them down. They're already late to something they have to do. Maybe this is going to interfere with their day. Maybe they're afraid of robbers getting to them and, and, and jacking them. As maybe it's a trap. Regardless. They don't help their fellow Israelite, and they leave him for dead. But this is where the story is going to get extremely aggressive to the lawyer and to those that are listening. It says, but a Samaritan. Now, we got to unpack that a little bit because that statement doesn't mean anything to us culturally, right? That we have to say, what does that mean? Well, here's the main thing you need to know. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. 
So if you remember anything, know that. They hated, and it was both ways. It wasn't just one way. They both hated each other. They would argue about religious stuff. Who's really God's people? Where should the temple be? Where should we worship? No, it should be on this mountain. No, it should be on that mountain. You're wrong. I'm right. And then the Jews are like, you're not even full-blooded Jews. You're these mudblugs. You're these weird half-breed Jews because your forefathers didn't listen to God and they intermarried when they weren't supposed to and then that caused you to be the offspring and so you're like, you're kind of family, but you're totally not. It's this weird, and, there's, and they just despised them. They hated them. And so when this, this guy shows up, it is assumed that he's clearly going to be the guy who steps over him. As a matter of fact, it's kind of presumed that he might be the guy who's like, well, one less Jew, hi, hi, and, then, and he's done. He might just finish him off. That's kind of how that's going to be played out. But that's not what happens, is it? You see that he stops, and he sees him. I love it says, and he saw him. He sees him. He sees his need. He sees that he's hurt. He sees that he is going to die. He knows that he is doomed if someone does not help. And this idea of seeing, like we do this all the time. I can be guilty of it as well, so this is a safe place to share who we are. There's people on every corner that are looking for something, and what do we do? If I don't look at them, if I don't see them, I don't have to engage them. We do that, don't we? I don't have time, or they don't deserve it. They should. We do this. I'm guilty of it. So if you don't see him, you don't have to engage him. I'm sure the priest and Levite were like, well, you know, oh, there's a bird. <laughs> he sees him. He stops. He understands the situation. He says, you are a human being. And it says that he is moved with compassion. And I've talked about it before, that idea of compassion means that it it, it rings your gut. You have a pit in your stomach and it, you're just like, you are moved physically by the need of someone else. And he sees that and he's moved with compassion. And he sees him and he goes, I got to do something. I need to help him in his desperate state. What does he do? He went to him and he bound, bound up his wounds. He pours wine and oil. I don't even think that's like a party? Like what's, no. It's a disinfectant, right? He's pouring the wine because it's got alcohol in it. It's a disinfectant, the oil to make sure that it soothes that area. Like that's what he's doing. He's treating this man's wounds. He gets off of his animal. He puts him on his animal. Now he has to endure the hard trail and he has to exert the energy to do that. He takes him to an inn so he can heal. He gives money, two denarii it says. And you know, it's, so I did some studying on this this week. Um, they, the archaeologists have actually found signs that say, like, this is how much it charges to stay at an inn, like, from the ancient days. It's, like, we find these weird things. And if you break down how much that money is and how much he gave, he basically paid for 60 days for this man to stay in an inn. That seems like a lot of money. Like, I've paid at a hotel. I ain't paying for 60 days for anybody, let alone myself. I'm just saying, I'm cheap. <laughs> And so he pays for up to 60 days. And then he says, hey, I'm coming back. If this guy accrues any more debt, don't worry about it. Put it on my tab. When I come back, I will pay everything back in full. <clears throat> what? This is insane. 
Who does this? Like, no one does this. There's it's an abundance of love. It's tremendous amounts of mercy and grace. And like, even if you look at their history, this man should have never, ever, ever done that. But yet he does. And so Jesus then turns to the lawyer and he asks him a very simple question. Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man? We, we all know the answer. Like, we're not dumb. And I'm sure the lawyer is like, I hate the guy you're talking about. He can't be the good guy. He's the bad guy. So what does he say? He won't even say the Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. That's crazy. Like that's how deep his hate went. That's how much he despised this individual. And then Jesus just very easily and quickly says, you go and do likewise. At the center of this parable, it shows us that eternal life revolves around mercy and that salvation and mercy are linked deeply. Now, I asked you early on as you were thinking about this, who am I in the story? Where am I at? And maybe you're like, well, Simon, at times, yeah, I've been the priest, I've been the Levite, I've, I've walked over people. And maybe on a really good day when the stars aligned and you happen to have some extra, someone asked me, like, I was the good Samaritan and I gave this guy a granola bar. Like, I did it. That's me. The Bible is about Jesus. Okay? Jesus is always the hero in the Bible. See, like, we're not the hero because we bring the problem. You understand that? Like, when we try to read into us being the hero, we run into a very dangerous road. Because you're not. Let me rephrase that. We're not. I'm not the hero. See, we're bad Samaritans. We're not good Samaritans. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is actually telling us the story of salvation. He is telling us the gospel. And there are times when you read something hundreds of times and you don't see it, and all of a sudden it's like, boom! You're like, what? I never, why did I never see this? Why have I never understood what's going on? Let me, let me retell the story a little bit differently. Jesus saw each and every one of us, beat up and left on the road of life, dead from sin and its effects in our lives. Sin left us bloody and beat up and naked on this road of life. The law and being a good person is not able to save us. That's the Levite and the priest. The ones that we thought could save us couldn't. And what do they do? They pass on by because we can't meet that expectation. And the law will not save us. We talked about it before. The law is what? An MRI, right? It just diagnoses the problem. It shows that there's an issue. The Bible would say that we are enemies of God. Very similar to the Samaritan, the Jew, right? As we rebelled against God, as we rejected God's word, we became enemies of him. As we spit in his face, as we said, no, nope, I'll do it my way. Jesus saw us and he should have come to punish us, but he didn't. 
He sees us and it says that he has compassion on us. That he was deeply moved. When he, remember when he went to Jerusalem, he's on the donkeys coming in, he cries. He sees the lostness and the brokenness of the people that think that they're worshiping God and they're not. And it breaks his heart. And he weeps. He's moved with compassion towards the people that he has come to save. Jesus rode into the city and he gets off his donkey. And he comes down to where we are. He bandages us up from the effects of sin that was going to kill us. He heals us by going to the cross and dying for our sins. He takes our place. We're taking communion today. What does the juice of the wine represent? Blood. How is our sin disinfected by the blood of Jesus? That it washes over us and it cleanses us. So then he pours oil on us. That's represented in the Bible over and over again as the Holy Spirit. That Jesus pours the Holy Spirit on us, knowing that we can't save ourselves, that he takes care of the disinfection problem, but then he takes care of the longer-term problems, the fact that we can't live in a way that glorifies God. So he gives us the Spirit so we can do that, so we can live that way. He takes us to an inn. Where does Jesus take people that he saves? takes them to church. takes them to be cared for by the church. As people are saved, we bring them into the family and the community of God so they would experience what it means to be a part of the family tangibly. And then he says, I'm coming back. What's he saying? What is, is, is there anything in the Bible that talks about Jesus maybe coming back? Anywhere, anywhere in there, maybe? Yes. Second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not just saying, good luck with the life thing. I hope it plays out really well. I'm coming back. I'm going to reward those that care for my people. I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to pour out more grace upon grace on them. This is what he's doing. If anything... There's two people that we can kind of relate to, right? We can relate to the man that was beaten and bloodied and left on the road for dead. Every single one of us has been in that spot. We are either in that spot or we were in that spot. It's all based upon what you've done with Jesus Christ. And if you've placed your hope and your trust in Jesus for salvation, you should have a lot of compassion in your heart. You should understand who you are and what Jesus did for you. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. It was out of the goodness of the good, good Samaritan's heart that did that. And for those of you who are here today, you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Who's this guy? Why is he yelling at me? Because Jesus wanted you to hear that you are on the road of life and that you are bleeding out. And that Jesus offers the gift of life and salvation to any that would call upon his name. And I would ask you to call in the name of Jesus this morning. There is no happenstance. There is no coincidences. This is because God wanted you to hear this message. This changes everything. You know the other thing we can relate to? The innkeeper. 
that God has entrusted us to care for men and women that come to him, that we get to walk with them, that we get to teach them, that we get to be a part of their growth and development and their progressive sanctification, which is a big fancy word of becoming more like Jesus. Like We get to do that, that God includes us in his great plan for caring for people, for loving people, for investing in their lives. What Jesus was calling this lawyer to him because he said, you don't even see it. You don't understand. And he loved him enough to say that what you really need is the good Samaritan to save you, the real good Samaritan. And you should do likewise, but you need me to do that. The lawyer got this. He got it to a certain degree because he said, the one who showed mercy, not getting what you deserve, We deserve the wrath of God, his punishment. We reject God. We celebrate sin all day long in our minds and in our actions. That's what we do. And what he is calling us to do is to represent him as the church and to care for his people. Now, we can't do this perfectly, but God is calling us to model what he did for others so they will see the gospel come to life. They will see the gospel and come to the Father. Why? Why do we do likewise? It seems weird if, like, he's the one who's doing all the work. Like, why? Because my people, he said, my people look like me, and I empower my people. That's what Jesus is saying. We do life groups here. We've been pumping it. You've probably seen that. And we're on a break for a little bit, and now we've kind of gone in full speed, and we get rolling on that. And and people, you know, wonder, like, oh, why life groups? Why should I be engaged in life groups? What's it all about? Why do I do it? And I've been the pastor of life groups or community groups or discipleship group, whatever group you want to call it. They're just groups. And and as I have been in those and watched those happen, one of two things can happen. We have a desire for what we want them to be, but then there's this other thing that happens. And a lot of times it's, oh, so what did you think of the sermon? What did you think? And then and it's like this critique on the pastor or the passage of the sermon or how they did it. I don't like his tie. Well, I'm not wearing a tie. That's why I don't like his tie. He didn't wear one. I don't like how he spoke. He's too loud. He's too quiet. He's too whatever. That's not the purpose of life groups. The purpose of life groups is that you would hear God's word, And you would ask the hard question, what is this saying about me? What do I need to change? What do I need to surrender to Jesus? Because all of us are believing lies all the time. What do you need? What's going on in your heart? It's hard. It's hard to ask these questions. It's hard to explore your heart. But that's what he's calling us to do, to take off the old self and to put on the new self that we have in Christ. And if you are spending all of your time not asking these questions and exploring your heart, you are dodging the question because you're too afraid to ask God what you need to change in your life. And you may not believe that Jesus can actually fix the thing in your life that you're struggling through, and he can. What in your life are you trying to justify? Are we like the priest and the Levite? Because here's what happened. You know why they stepped over him? Because he couldn't meet their needs. He couldn't meet their qualifications. He couldn't meet the law. And so here's what happens with us. If we are thinking that we have to justify ourselves through our own righteousness, through our own ability, if you can't keep up, sorry, man, I can't slow down. And I'm going to leave you in the dust because you can't maintain the pace that I'm going at because if it's, a, if it's on me, if I back up, I'm not righteous. If I'm not righteous, I'm not with God. So I got to keep moving hard. 
And when people get in your way, instead of stopping and caring and meeting the need, you step over them because I'm like, I can't slow down. Sorry, man. I wish you could keep up, but good luck. And then you just keep going. You also got to ask, am I trying to be the good Samaritan without being saved by the true good Samaritan? And here's why I ask that. You can do a lot of good things. You can be a decent person, but at the end of the day, why? Where's the focus? Is it on you? Do you like the praises of men and women about how good you are, about how righteous you are, about how wonderful you are, about you care? And I can't, I can't answer that for you. I can't see your heart, but you know. Do you like it when people talk well about you? You're like, well, I mean, you know, stop, but you know, seriously, more. You like that? Those are indicators. Because what's happening in that moment is when you are trying to be the good Samaritan without the true good Samaritan, it's about pride. And it's about you. And it's not about God's glory. Who is the one that you hate that God is calling you to love with the love of Jesus? Hate's a strong word, Simon. Okay, who do you not like? Who irritates you? Who bothers you? Who would you rather not be in a room with? Think about this. Every person that irritates you, that bothers you, that ticks you off, that gets in your way, whether that's your coworker or your neighbor or your friend or your kid's friends or someone that you have a sport in or a hobby or at the gym or wherever it may be, God has placed them specifically in your life. Well, I don't like that. No, I don't either. He did that to grow you. He did that so you realize that they need Jesus as much as you need Jesus, as much as Jesus has saved you. That person needs to be saved. Well, what if they're a Christian? Then God has put you in their life so they would A, grow you, and B, you would grow them that you would speak the truth of areas that they are believing lies in their life, that they have to earn God's favor, that they're trying to prove themselves to somebody else, that all these, they need acceptance, they need whatever they may need from somebody. My wife says this all the time. She's smart. You're like, why do these people hurt me? Because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And Jesus is the cure to the hurt. And so what we get to do now is answer the question, who is my neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor, especially your enemies. Because you get to model and bear the image of Jesus and how you move forward. At the core of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and salvation is mercy. The mercy shown to us by Jesus on the cross and now we get to show that mercy to others because Jesus has enrolled us in the work of saving lives by being a part of his process to seeing this kind of unbelievable, unimaginable love. How can we love this way? Because we've been modeled this kind of love by the Father in heaven who loves us, who sent his son to die in our place and we get to show them that. Will you go and do likewise? Let's pray. 
Jesus, this has been a sermon that has been beating me up all week. As I think about people that I don't want to show love to, I don't want to extend grace and mercy to, that you've just, you will, you're relentless, and I thank you for being relentless because you're exposing areas in my heart where I need to surrender to you and know that you are better than me, and that you have done the work and you have done it before Lord, I ask that we would see you as the good Samaritan as you've told your story, that this, the story of the lawyer is so sad because we don't see that he really got it at the end. Let us not be like the lawyer. Let us be the end where men and women can go, where they can engage who you are, where they can follow you, where they can love you, where they can worship you, where they can see what grace and mercy looks like played out practically every day. Let us remember that we were once on the road of life beaten. May we see men and women that we don't like, that frustrate us, that we may hate, and realize that that's how you saw us and yet you loved us. Let us love in the same way. Let us step into what it means to be little G good Samaritans. Pray this in your glorious and amazing name, amen.